Mr. Sarah Vardek, bringing you Teach, Travel, and Talk About It, a podcast from International TEFL Academy, where we sit down with our alumni, staff, and other members of the TEFL community to hear their stories about teaching English abroad, traveling the world, and everything Today we're talking to Kendra Isaacs, um, who lives in Busan, South Korea, um, and I'm going to let Kendra introduce herself, but I'm really happy to have you as our first guest on Teach, Travel, Talk About It, um, an International TEFL Academy podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm real real excited uh, to, to chat with you today. Um, so would you mind... Yeah, it's exciting. I'm really, really um, looking forward to seeing where seeing where this goes. Uh, but if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, and then we can uh, get to the questions. Yeah, so uh, like you said before, my name is Kendra Isaacs, and I'm living here in Busan, South Korea. Uh, I'm so excited for this opportunity. Um, first time doing this, and like you said, this is the first episode of, of ITA's uh, podcast. Uh, so I've been living in South Korea for three years now. Actually, this is my third year that I just started in uh, February. And I teach elementary school students. So just third grade to sixth grade. Um, I love, <laughs> I love it so far. Uh, you know, I guess with teaching, you know, anything can happen. There's a good days and the bad days, but you know, I'm, I'm loving it so far. Um, I initially came here back in 2019 from New York. That's where I'm from. Um, and, you know, prior to that, I was working in human resources for about seven years, seven or eight years. And I got to the point where I just, I was tired. I was so tired of it, you know. <laughs> I just needed I needed a break from the monotony and um and just from being unhappy and feeling, you know, unfulfilled in what I was doing. Yeah. Um you know, I was good at what I was doing, but it's it was not not my my calling at all. So, you know, I looked into teaching abroad after being referred to uh by a couple of friends who had previously taught in, in China and uh, Dubai. And I said, you know what, let me give this a shot. So I, I looked up um, South Korea and I said, okay, I like that, <laughs> you know? And I pretty mm-hmm. much, you know, started, I, I purchased my, my ITA course and I did my practicum and I applied through Epic that's the program that I'm here on. I'm through Epic, and I got it. I got admitted, and I did my practicum for about a month. And I decided to apply to the Epic Fall Intake. Uh, so there's two intakes. There's the Fall Intake, and then the Spring Intake. Uh, so I applied to the for, the Fall Intake, and I actually went through a recruiter called Corvia, uh, mostly because I read online that it's just a lot easier to go through a recruiter because they know how to handle all the paperwork and just make just make the entire process move along quickly and seamlessly. Uh, so I applied through Corvia and they pretty much told me 
all of the paperwork that I needed. I just sent it over and <laughs> I want to say they pretty much handled everything for me. I didn't really have to do much aside from, you know, prepare my paperwork. Mm. Uh, so I want to say I, I applied to Epic as soon as the as soon as uh, the applications opened, which was probably in September or October, and I submitted all of my paperwork by October and by November. On Thanksgiving night, I had my interview with Epic. Uh, so after that. Maybe a month after the interview, I found out that I got accepted and I was placed in Busan, which was my number one choice uh, for a city to live in. Why did you um, pick Busan? Uh, for many reasons, but the main reason is because I knew that there was going to be a lot of air pollution in Seoul. And I have asthma, so I have, you know, trouble breathing. And I wanted to be as far away from the pollution as possible. And, you know, I wanted to be where the seafood was at because I love seafood. <laughs> and, and I just wanted to be by the beach. And I, I just really got lucky. I was blessed in that situation, you know, that I got my top choice. Yeah. yeah, I think there's uh, some people when they're faced with like, where, mm. where do I pick? They're not quite sure because you have to do, you know, research on a, a country that you've never been to. Usually right. you don't live in, you don't know super well. Um, so it's, it's good to make a list of like what matters most to you, what's important right. to you um, and figure out sort of where works best Absolutely. from there. So, so you got placed mm. uh, in Busan. Um, uh, when did you go over? So spring, spring 2019 intake, what does that mean for like arrival time and, and those, you know, first few um, days or weeks Ooh. in South Korea? Wow, that, it was a whirlwind. I feel like, yeah. It, so, you know, once I got word in December that I was going to Busan, after that, it was just, a matter of packing, getting my all my ducks in a row, um, saying my see you laters to people and to my family and my friends. And I booked my ticket through Corvia. Actually, they were very helpful. They pretty much handled everything. And we all met in Seoul. They kind of divided us into groups based on the cities that everyone was placed in. Uh, we stayed at a university. I think it was Kong. I don't remember the name of the university. <laughs> but university. it was in the middle of nowhere. Like, it's not even like we could have left the campus and, like, enjoyed the surrounding areas. It was just, like, farm, 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 university, farm, farm, farm. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, after orientation... We all just, we make our friends at an orientation. We say goodbye to them for the meantime, and we go to our apartments. We meet our, our co-teachers in one location, and they bring us to our apartments. And, yeah, that's that's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> they pretty much hand you over to your, your, your school staff, and um, they help you get set up in your apartments. And some... Some uh, co-teachers, they might uh, supply you with groceries or like a welcoming gift or something. Mm -hmm. 
So that kind of covers sort of like your mm-hmm. first little bit in South Korea. Um, how how do you think um, South Korea has like influenced or impacted you? You've been there for about three years now. You know what um, what do you think has changed about about you or you know what new things have come up oh, in that wow. time? <laughs> so South Korea, <laughs> this is yeah. It, there's so many ways I can answer this question, but I think as a whole, uh, South Korea has definitely made me feel like myself again. You know, I didn't realize that I was so depressed in my last work situation and just in life in general. Um, and until I came here and I started really getting to see my true self, the Kendra that I haven't seen, I hadn't seen in many years, you know, I became more self-assured, more confident, you know, more outgoing. And, you know, being in this country in a situation like this, it forces you to, to speak up for yourself and, you know, advocate for yourself because honestly, there's no one else here to do it, but you, you have to do it for yourself. Uh, So this process has definitely grown me. In, in many ways, um, uh-huh. I I haven't felt this this so sure of myself in a, in a very long time, and I didn't know that it would take me moving halfway across the world to get that. It's just been uh-huh. it moving abroad or even moving to another city. It grows you in a lot of ways because it it really forces you outside of your comfort zone and. Um, it challenges you as well, you know, in the people that you meet, mm-hmm. the experiences that you have. Um, I've definitely become, I've always considered myself an open-minded person, but once I came here, I said, wow, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm definitely even more open-minded, <laughs> you know, because you <laughs> you meet so many different people from all walks of life, from all walks of life, and uh, they influence you and they impact your life without you even really realizing it you know uh, so yeah it's this has been a life yeah. experience feels great <laughs> it feels great yeah um what's been uh what's been the biggest surprise of living in korea for you <sighs> surprise positive or negative <laughs> which route should we go we can do one of each we can do either it's a, it's uh wholly okay. up to you we both know that there are there are good and bad surprises of living in another country. Yeah, yeah. I guess the positive surprise, I feel, I don't know, I've kind of, there's like this weird celebrity effect, you know, uh, because being in mm-hmm. Korea, a homogenous society, I obviously stand out, you know, being a black woman. Uh, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. many places that I go, it's always all eyes on me, you know, all the time. I won't say, well, not all the time, but, you know, people steal glances, or especially if I travel into, like, the more countryside, right. it, you know, people, they kind of flock or they kind of just, you know, want to talk to you, have conversation, comment about your skin or your hair, and it's just, I didn't, re- I didn't really expect to, to have so much attention. Yeah. Um, and the, I guess, the negative surprises, I... I didn't expect to feel so 
self-conscious about my body. You know, being back in America, mm. I, I've always been confident of my body, my, my shape, my skin, my hair. I've always been confident about it. And, you know, in America, it's very diverse. You know, there's people of all different colors, shapes and sizes. So, you know, it's a mixed mm-hmm. bag. You don't know what you're going to get. Uh, but coming here, people, yeah. uh, for the most part, have just kind of one body type, you know, or and there's just like one standard uh-huh. of beauty. And that's pretty much it. And everyone tries to conform to that standard. Uh-huh. And me, I, I wouldn't call myself a nonconformist, but, you know, I like to do my own thing. And I obviously do not in any way fit (laughs) that standard of beauty uh, or their, their body type. So I, I remember, you know, my first, uh, maybe my first month here, I had, I had extensions in and when I had to take them out, I was so nervous because I didn't really know how I would be received by my students or by my coworkers. I, I just wasn't confident in wearing my hair out like how I usually do back in New York. You know, I usually let this fro flourish. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, But for a while, I just kind of had it slipped back (laughs) in a bun uh, because I feel like that's what they would consider uh, acceptable (laughs) uh, in terms of um, Mm -hmm. hairstyles. Uh, But one day I just got fed up, you know. I was like, look, they're going to get this fro and they're going to like it. (laughs) And that's it, you know. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that was that was a negative surprise. I did. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I I didn't expect to feel uh, self-conscious about my body, you know, or my hair. But Mm -hmm. it's definitely come while being here in Korea. Yeah, I um, I had a a somewhat similar experience in Taiwan of, and I think that was what was most unexpected for me too. Like the, the biggest surprise was just that there was absolutely no hope that I would ever fit into the beauty standard uh, in Taiwan. And yeah, being, being looked at sort of, it's funny, like more in some ways more of an object or, you know, or just something different instead of, um, you know, in a sort of like appreciative way. There's that cultural difference. And then also, like you were saying, we're not looked at because like, oh, they're admiring our beauty or, or I guess, otherness. But it's more so because we are foreign and we look different. And uh-huh. it, it, but it's, I kind of knew that coming in. I, I, I kind of, ex- yeah. I, I knew to uh, expect it, that coming to Asia, you know. Definitely. Uh-huh. Well... I guess, like, to, yeah. uh, I guess, piggyback on that, um, yeah. I, I do want to speak about the, the Black female experience and, and how, you know, that's a lot to unpack, <laughs> especially, yeah. you know, living here in, in South Korea. Um, I often get asked this question uh, from random people in my, my IG DMs. And, you know, they're always asking, hey, you know, I'm thinking about coming to South Korea, but I'm really not sure how I'll be received as a black woman. And, you know, to that, I say, just come, 
I always tell them just come because there's not going to be an experience. There's not going to be a one size fits all experience. Everyone's experience is going to be unique to them. And I think with South, with South Korea, your experience as a black woman will definitely uh, differ depending on where in Korea you live. Uh, so uh, Seoul, it's a heavily populated area. It's the capital of South Korea, and there are a majority of the foreigners in this country are located in Seoul. Uh, so it's very easy to see so many people from, from all over the world there. There's a lot of diversity there. But say if you go to a city like maybe Ulsan or or Changwon or someplace like that, you're not going to see as many Black people and the way that you're received may be very different, you know? Uh, Busan, it's like a nice little mix of... Mm-hmm. I guess the different types of expats that live here, uh, but my my experience has been a great one. Uh-huh. I haven't experienced any racism, and I think that's what a lot of women they they are worried about. I I don't have never experienced any racism personally. Um, I have kind of experienced like some otherness, <laughs> but not not racism uh, per se. Uh, most of the time, people are just in awe of my hair, uh-huh. and they say, "Oh, it's beautiful. Your hair is mori mori beautiful." <laughs> you know, <laughs> mori mori means like hair or head, so they're like they're fascinated by it. And uh, <laughs> I've always been well received, uh-huh. and I I guess I attribute it, attribute that to me always kind of going around with a smile on my face or just being a very open and and welcoming person. And I'm not saying that you have to do those things in order to be received well here in Mm -hmm. Korea, but uh, I'm just saying that for me, I think that's why I've always received positive responses. Um, You know, I always say to my my expat friends that, um, you know, whether we like it or not, we are the representatives of either our race or our country, uh, because a lot of times the Korean people that we encounter, they may have not may not have met a foreigner or a person of a specific race, and you are literally the the pinnacle for, for mm-hmm. your entire race, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. The only one. Uh, but, you know, to get back to the Black experience, uh, it, it is very complex in that People will adore you and people will will look at you with dirty looks sometimes, you know. It it really is a mixed bag. Um, I know one main issue here is, you know, hair care. There uh there are there are stylists here who can uh they are they're able to do black hair or or natural hair, but it's limited and it is very costly. So oftentimes, you know, YouTube is your best friend. And, you know, in terms of even just getting products for our hair, it's it's not easy because we can't just, you know, go to the corner store and uh, or the beauty supply store and just get something conveniently. We have to order 
but thankfully, you know, there are there are websites where we can get products for our hair and for our skin. Um, it just might be a little bit more costly. That's all. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that uh, that makes yeah. that definitely makes sense. I yeah, <laughs> I'm surviving <laughs> barely, but Doing I'm surviving. It. Do you? How often yeah. do you order? Then do you do like once a year or once every few months? Ooh, uh, I would say once every few months. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I get the question sometimes from girls like, "Oh, how many hair products should I pack before coming?" And I always say two mm-hmm. months worth. You know, two months worth is good enough to pack prior to coming to South Korea until you're able to get the hang of online shopping here and, you know, you're able to get your banking set up and all of that. And after that, I would say, yeah, I order products maybe every three months. You know, you can order from Amazon Mm -hmm. ships here. There's iHerb. There there are even um, Black-owned businesses that popped up here in Korea. There's, yeah, there's, there's quite a few of them that popped up. So, I definitely link those on my blog, KendraIsaacs.com. Shameless. Go for it. Um, But they're they're there. (laughs) They're they're there. And, you know, there are resources here for us. It's just a matter Mm -hmm. of finding our community and just asking around. How, uh, talking about community, actually, because that's uh, that's something that I know can, Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's easy to do, sometimes it can be a challenge to do. How did you find your community once you arrived in South mm-hmm. Korea and how long did it take? I found them before I even came here actually. Uh, thanks to Facebook groups, you mm-hmm. know, I was I was on the social medias heavily and I was just searching and you know there's there's a lot of different Facebook groups for everyone, not just for black people. Mm-hmm. There there's there are Facebook groups for Caribbeans in South Korea. Facebook groups for Russians in South Korea. You know, there's a group for everyone. Mm-hmm. Not to say that you should stick within your own group, but you know, when you're when you're missing familiarity or you're missing, I guess, home in some ways, these groups are definitely great. You know, that way you can meet people and kind of you can lean on each other. You know, uh, so definitely Facebook. Yeah, Facebook groups helped, and and not and. Also, the people that I met during Epic Orientation. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that I met during Epic Orientation, and we're still friends to this day. So, you know, there are resources out there. We just have to do some research. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad to hear that you did that in advance. I um I mostly used Facebook mm-hmm. groups for research in advance, versus like actually finding community before yeah. I arrived. Like I knew everything about finding an apartment and where to go and where I wanted to live, but I didn't mm-hmm. know anything about uh, what people I wanted to be friends with uh, when I when I moved to Taiwan. Um, but Facebook is great for that. Mm-hmm. I talk about that all the time. It's it is all out there, uh, and it's um, it is really wonderful to be able to find, you know, a community that feels like home yeah. when you arrive. Yeah. I completely agree with you on that. Um, especially like when you're missing home, you want people who really, really feel like home, you know, who aren't just from maybe your same country, but are from like your same area or who have the same experiences as you or, you know, have the same culture as you. So it is, it is really wonderful to be able to find that when you, especially when you first arrive or before you arrive. It is. It's nice. I mean, these days it's, 
it's a little bit harder to meet up with people because of COVID. Uh, but I would right. say pre-COVID, there were always events and meetups, and it was just really nice to be able to get involved and meet new people and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really nice to to have those those times. Um, and so I guess speaking of COVID, um, how has it been for you this past year? Oh, well, <laughs> uh, it has, you know, I am, I am, I'm tired of COVID, honestly. <laughs> I know everybody's tired of COVID, but we're just, I am like, I've had it up to here with COVID <laughs> she needs to go like I'm, I'm really I'm tired of her. Done. Yeah, it's uh throw her out yeah <laughs> goodbye uh no well you know COVID first hit 2000 it was 2020 um I was actually in Taipei at the time when when I think when we first started getting news that corona was really spreading and, you know, once it really hit mm-hmm. Korea, I, I'm pretty sure you, you saw the news that Korea really had a huge outbreak mm-hmm. with a second um, right, right after China in terms of COVID numbers at mm-hmm. one point. Uh, and it was pretty scary. Like everything pretty much shut down, at least in my neighborhood. Everyone was staying home, working from home. And it was... An, inju- an adjustment period uh, for everyone because uh, a lot of the schools, they just were not used to having to teach online or anything like that. Um, and it's weird the way that the news kind of spun things to make it seem as though foreigners were to blame <laughs> for a lot of the cases. That okay. Came. It, was, it was really strange because I was just like, you know, you can easily just go on the CDC website, actual, the, the facts are out there, but it was weird that what the media was doing here and it was making it seem as though foreigners were dirty and we were kind of the blame for like some of the outbreaks. And even now, you know, um, I've been signs put up at establishments saying, oh, no foreigners allowed. Yeah, that's that's not a, not something that we've um, we've really learned a lot about here um is is mm-hmm. how is how foreigners are being treated in other um other countries you know because yeah, of this especially it, in asia it was really weird like even i believe it was last month in a province uh in the northern part of south korea called gyeonggi uh they had a small cluster outbreak amongst these um these farmers, these foreign workers who they worked on farms. Um, and the reason why there was an outbreak there is because they were living and working in poor conditions. The employees were just not taking mm. care of them. And the mayor of, of this province forced, he mandated that all foreigners had to get COVID testing. And they're pretty much just targeting all of them. And if you did not get tested, you would be fined heavily. And wow. <laughs> you know, people, people made a big stink about it until eventually it made international news and then they retracted the mandate and it pretty much all just kind of got swept under the rug like it never happened Mm. (laughs) it was it was madness you know it really was wow and so and just to 
to clarify, because um, I know what you you mean by foreigners, but when you're talking about mm. foreigners, you're not just talking about like expat teachers here, are you? No, no. We're we're talking about people. We're talking about uh, people who may work for major companies here. They may be students at universities. Uh, they could be factory workers, farm workers. It doesn't matter. They said all foreigners. It just wasn't right. It just wasn't right no. at all. Um, and it's no. it's sad to see um, that we're, I guess, being targeted in those ways. I feel like targeted is probably not the best mm-hmm. word to use, but um, we're kind of, it's like singled they're kind out. of, yeah, singled out. They're, they're kind of trying to find someone to place the blame on and mm-hmm. do better than the foreigners here, I guess, you know. It, it stinks. Yeah, it's it's a a common refrain, and I think a lot of a lot of places in the world is you know it's an easy easy scapegoat sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious um, because I know that like especially when you're looking at like farm workers or factory workers, um, you're often in East Asia. You're often talking about people from other countries in Asia, um, you know that are. Uh, like a little, a uh, little less sort of um, well off mm-hmm. as like South, as like South Korea or Japan or Taiwan or something like that. Right. Um, and so it's, I think it's always interesting to sort of slightly shift your perspective from like it's not just, um, you know, people from Western countries, you know, being expats or being foreigners, um, you know, in. Uh, you know, in these countries, it's people from closer, you know, who are just, you know, who are still perceived as foreign, even though they're, they're from the same region. It's, it's just, it's just unfortunate, really. I really just hope that, I just hope it all comes to an end very, very quickly, because very soon, yeah. because I think it's just creating a lot of tension, unnecessary tension amongst people. And we're just generally we're just tired, <laughs> really. We're just uh, kind of tired of it. So I know yeah. that creates, uh, it brings out the not so great sides of people, um, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Sadly, sadly it does. Yeah. But moving away from, from COVID sort of, um, and obviously this has been affected by it, uh, but what is, we talked a little bit about events, but what is uh, dating like in South Korea? Oh boy! <laughs> so during normal times, during normal times. So personally, I don't do it because you know I I just don't do it. Uh, you know, my my first year here, I did have I did have a boyfriend, um, but we he was American, and we met actually my first day in Korea at the airport. We met then. And we oh, kind of wow. just, yeah, it was like weird, like rom-com situation. <laughs> but, um, Very meet cute. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was cool. Um, but we, you know, we became friends and we kind of hit it off that way. But in terms of, of, I guess, like the dating apps and just navigating the dating world here, I, I do not do it because it's just, it's just ghetto. I just, I just hear the worst like all the time. Like I, I, you know, the, the main ways to meet someone here is usually through the app. So like Tinder, 
Bumble. I believe there's Meef as well. But I hear just the worst things. And um, I know it's it's one thing, you know, like dating. If you're if you're dating if you're looking to date a Korean person and um, you're a woman, there's you're sorry if you're an expat woman, it's it's an experience. But uh, specifically for Black women, I always hear. Um, from my female friends or just from random black women we were just we're just sexualized you know um, they just kind of see a lot of the men not all of them but a lot of them just see us as these um, hypersexual beings and that's pretty much it they, they kind of just want to experience us and not have a serious relationship you know and I just want a lot of not only black women, but just women coming here in general to just be aware of that and not to just put yourself out there to be used by these guys just because they want to experience you because you're different and you're a foreigner and, you know, um, but just make sure that, you know, <laughs> when you're out there in this dating space that you really do be careful and, um, and you make sure that the guy that you're meeting with it, or a woman or a person that you're meeting with is is someone that actually values you and is not with you just because they want to experience you physically, you know? Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, I hear mm-hmm. I hear a lot of things <laughs> from, from women. Usually uh, there are, like, Facebook groups where women, they... Usually women, they, they, they chat about their dating experiences here. You know, some of them, they find long-lasting relationships with, um, usually with Korean guys. Um, and some of them, they're clearly, they only came here to date <laughs> Korean guys. You know, there is that. Uh, uh-huh. I know you had, I think you had mentioned that before, that like in Taiwan, it's similar. But there's like this, you know, strange like subgroup of uh-huh men and women who come here, you know, specifically because they want to date a Korean woman or a man. Um, and they kind of fetishize them in that way. So I think there is a bit of a fetishization going on on both ends, you know. But, you know, I I say, you know, it's, dating here is probably like it is dating anywhere else in the world. You know, men are men and women are women. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you just kind of have to take what comes your way and see if if you like it or not, and you know you make your choice. Yeah, I guess is it any different in yeah. Taiwan? Would you say? Um, I think it's. I mean, it's pretty similar in Taiwan. I didn't do. I didn't do a lot of dating. I met my now wife um, about mm-hmm. a month and a half in. I was I was not planning on meeting the love of my life uh, mm-hmm. after being abroad for a month. But it is, you know, from what I saw from my friends, et cetera, it was pretty similar. It was difficult um, in some ways. I think, you know, it's very similar in terms of, you know, dating uh, like a, you know, dating a Taiwanese person and Taiwanese people dating, you know, um, mm-hmm. Westerners, et cetera. So that I think experience is pretty similar. But I also noticed that it was maybe challenging, even if you wanted to date like fellow, um, you know, Americans or, you know, Canadians or Brits or what have you, because 
it's really like the expat population is is somewhat transient. You know, people yes, will be there yes. for like a year, two years maybe, and then they'll be going. So I think from what I witnessed, a lot of a lot of people just weren't um, you know, even among the foreigners, like the the expat teacher population, they just weren't really there for a long time. <laughs> right. Uh, just a good time. So um so they weren't really interested in like, you know, dating seriously. Um, right, long time. You know, or really like yeah. coupling up with someone. Yeah. You know, and of course, I mean it still happens. Things happen when you least expect them. Mm-hmm. You know, my my wife and I are uh, evidence of that. But, um, but I know that I definitely had some friends who were like, man, you know, like I really want a relationship and they were dating, you know, dating people who just weren't, weren't looking for that. It was harder to find that. So, mm-hmm. but I, I think that's, that's similar here in the U S as well in many ways, just because you're in a country with people, you know, who aren't planning on leaving the country again in a year, right. um, doesn't doesn't mean they're any more willing to be in a long term relationship. That is that is true. I but I guess if I speak personally, I I think I had maybe more options back home than I did. Oh yeah, here I, I definitely had more options yeah. back home in terms of dating than than here um but like yeah what you're saying is definitely right Uh, this life this lifestyle is very transient and you know as quickly as people come into your lives they go um and that's because Mm -hmm. you know everybody has their own plan um as to what it Mm -hmm. is that they want to do and how long they want to stay in you know what particular country it's just harder it's hard to make um strong long-lasting uh relationships with people Um, yeah that doesn't just apply to relation like mm-hmm. romantic relationships. It applies to it applies to yes. friendships as well. You know, my first year here, I had my my solid friend group, uh, and you know, as the years kind of passed, I've watched that number kind of dwindle and dwindle and dwindle until like now it's just one more person other than myself left in that group, and you know, and that's that's pretty much it. And you know, we do try to stay in contact. We we. We um, have FaceTime calls and we check on each other and mm-hmm. we'd hope that in the future, once we all return to our respective uh, countries, that, you know, we can meet up again. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I think it's harder when, uh, you know, life gets in the way and yeah, you just, you know, you meet a lot of people, so... <laughs> You know, not all not all people come into your life to to stay for a long time. Sometimes they're just here for a season, and mm-hmm. and that's it. And you have to learn that that's completely yeah. okay. You know. Yeah, exactly. And I think, but it's nice too because when you're abroad, you meet you obviously meet people from lots of different countries and lots of different places. Not everyone moves back home, mm-hmm. um, so I think there's something nice about like, okay, so maybe I haven't talked to this friend in a few months or even like a year, you know, but I know that if I were to visit like whatever country they're currently living in, I could, you know, meet up with them and we'd still be friends. Right. You know, we're right. just, uh, I think once you move abroad, because even when you're overseas and you're having to stay connected with your people back home you get a different idea of like how friendship can survive. Friendship can survive without, you know, being in contact all the time. 
mm-hmm. you know, or even very frequently. You can you can have long term friends who you only talk to once a year and you only see every five years, um, and it doesn't. It's just a different type of friendship. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, but it's still it's still valid and it's still great. I completely agree. Yeah. I'm curious, one of the things that we had chatted about beforehand was um, like the Korean healthcare system. And this is actually a really common question that we get at, um, at ITA as well as, you know, what's the healthcare situation going to be like where I'm going and, you know, how am I going to find doctors and how am I going to pay for things? Um, so what is it like in, uh, in South Korea? Oh, it's great. <laughs> the healthcare system here is great. You know, someone coming from America where they'll literally charge you an arm and a leg for minor things. You, you know how the healthcare system mm-hmm. is. Um, mm-hmm. Coming here. Oh, yes. I'm just getting things checked just because I can and because it's cheap. Not necessarily because, you know, I, I need to. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's great. Usually... Uh, your health insurance, it's provided through your employer, which in my case is my, my school. So I pay into the national health uh, care uh, health insurance system. So it's just um, NHI. In terms of finding doctors, um, I would say my entire process has been me just winging it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I because it, I, I know it may be different for people who are living in maybe Seoul because there are a, a ton more English speaking Koreans living in Seoul than there are in Busan in Busan mm-hmm. it's hit or miss honestly uh, mm-hmm. so what I would do is usually I'd um, I'd ask around in the expat group specific to Busan that are on Facebook. And, you know, if I'm looking for a specific physician, I'd ask, hey, you know, can, does anyone have any recommendations for a physician that treats such and such and, you know, has English speaking services? And people are, are very helpful, though. People will just list names of doctors and you usually just have someone to choose from. So for me, I usually just Google that particular doctor, just read the reviews. And here, you don't always have to make an appointment. You could just walk in, which is great as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So many of the doctors, I just <laughs> I just walk in. I'm like, hey, uh, can you treat me today <laughs> or something? And they're like, sure. And it, it's beautiful, honestly, because, you know, in America, you have to make an appointment and you're waiting for like two weeks, sometimes mm-hmm. a month. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I'm dying now. Like, can you, <laughs> can you help right. me? Right, see me now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, usually I just walk in and uh, the person at the front desk, they ask for your ARC card, which is your alien registration card. Your health insurance is attached to your, your number. So they just put your number in the system. They check that you have health insurance and you just wait to see your doctor. Yeah. So yeah, a majority of my doctors have been found through Facebook groups and or through co-teacher recommendations. And the the care here, um, South Korea is known for um, having great doctors and an affordable health care system. Um, they have universal health care here. So they do have private insurance as well, but majority of people are on 
the uh, universal health care um, plan. But right. I will Could say be. that uh, pharmaceuticals, yeah. they, they do, they are a little bit costly. So services that you get at the doctor, they're affordable, but depending on what kind of medication you want to fill at the pharmacy, it might cost you uh, a pretty penny, uh, especially because they don't give you, you know, like in America, okay. uh, a doctor might supply like um, a month supply or a three month supply. Um, but here they mm-hmm. only do it by week weekly so you have to go to the pharmacy every week to pick up prescriptions is it the same in taiwan yeah it's the same in taiwan they have and they have the same the same perspective on like pain medication as well in taiwan as they do in um Mm. from what my understanding in south korea so yeah you get like a week's a week's worth of pills even like antibiotics which they hand out like candy in taiwan but <laughs> truly, but yeah, they give you like a week's supply at a time. So even with antibiotics, you you have to go back to the doctor. But that is just that is just how it it is there. Uh, but I don't I don't remember it being soup the like the the pharmaceuticals being overly expensive in Taiwan. Mm. But I never needed anything like pain pills or um, any kind of like special medication outside of of antibiotics and right, you know antivirals whatever yeah okay yeah it's it's uh yeah it can be a little a little costly here <laughs> just a little bit unfortunately uh but it's it's still affordable it's yeah still affordable yeah much better still much better than the u.s i'm curious uh what is something that people that you wish people asked you that you never get the chance to answer that you wish you were able to talk about more uh wow okay well (laughs) i would say i would say maintaining relationships uh, back home with your your friends and family um Mm -hmm. i guess when i first came here i i was before i came here i was reading blogs and and watching youtube videos and i didn't really see much information about anyone talking about it and I don't really ever get asked a question because I guess people are just generally mm-hmm. excited <laughs> to, to just be moving abroad you know they're not thinking mm-hmm. about you know the friends and the families that they're leaving behind back home and how that's going to affect their relationship moving forward uh, I will say that it's not easy you know it's not easy maintaining your relationships with family and friends uh, but I say that you should just you definitely should put in the effort both parties should put in the effort to mm-hmm. have consistent communication just so you know you can keep up to date and make sure that you stay in each other's lives and and just keep in touch in that way uh, mm-hmm. I know my my best friend from back home you know we lived five minutes from each other and you know she's basically my sister uh, you know, my first year here, I saw our relationship take a nosedive, <laughs> you know, I had never done that, you know, mm-hmm. being best friends since the fourth grade, um, it, being here for the first year, I realized that I wasn't talking to her as much. And, you know, mm-hmm. the solution 
to that was to just have scheduled calls. And I highly recommend, you know, setting aside a time on a particular day to speak with either your family members or your your best friends, just so you can maintain that relationship and, and keep that bond strong. You know, for, mm. you know, for some people, they're okay with going long periods of time without talking. And that's just the nature of the relationship, like you were saying before. Um, but I guess for us, since we, we spoke every single day and we were pretty much attached at the hip, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, you know, it was a little hard at first to, to adjust, um, but it worked yeah. itself out. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You find ways. My two best, uh, two of my best friends back, back here in the States, we, yeah, we had regularly scheduled, um, you know, Skype calls. Obviously, family, you know, regular, regular calls right. and all that. But I found uh, a method that I really liked with another one of my best friends was with a few, actually a few of my friends this worked with, was we would just send each other like videos, uh, videos mm-hmm. back and forth, like on yeah. WhatsApp, which was, was really nice because we didn't have to like schedule a time if we were both really busy or it was difficult with the time difference or whatever. And it was nice too, because then those friends that I did that with got to see probably more of my life in Taiwan than like my friends that I was Skyping with on a regular basis. Cause I'd be like walking to work. And so they'd, you know, see my walk to work or that's really cute. You know, like <laughs> yeah. so cute. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. really great. And you know, and so they got, I mean, they probably got a lot more ranting than <laughs> my friends that I talked to on yeah. Skype, but it was, it was a really great way of staying in touch. And actually, uh, I still do that with one of my friends here because we no longer uh, live in the same mm-hmm. city. We still do that where we send videos back and forth. And it's just really nice. It's a nice way of staying connected. And in a lot of ways, it's a little bit more intimate than having like a Skype call yeah. because you do get that like daily, uh, you know, kind of daily connection vibe, which yeah. I really which I really like. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Thank you for that. I'm going, I'm going to do that. I'm going to send videos yeah, to my family and my friends. Yeah. Be like, what is this? I said, just receive it, you know. <laughs> I'm going to do that, yeah. Just receive it, enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, that's, uh, well, I'm, I'm glad I could Thank share you. that. It's, it's truly one of my favorite ways of now communicating because, and it's also a lot less energy <laughs> than an actual call. Yes. Which, you know, some, sometimes it's just more energy than you feel like giving in a day, but you feel guilty, you know, you can't cancel because it's not so, you've got this like scheduled time. So that's, that's my little, my little tidbit to you and anyone Thank who's listening. You. Video, video messages yeah. are really good. So kind of, kind of along the same line, but does your feeling of home change after you move abroad? Yes. Yes, it has. <laughs> uh, <And how>? <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, prior to coming here, I said, I, I'd love to travel, you know, but New York will always be home. I can't see myself living anywhere but New York. And then I mm. came to Korea. I was just like, okay, so I can live other places. Sure. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, but I think just being away from home for for so long, I I realized that um, 
a lot of the attachments that I associate with with what it means to be home are are just material things, you know. Uh, as it stands right now, I would only really be going back to the U.S. because of my family, because mm. they're pretty much all I need. But, but yeah, my my perception of or my meaning of home has definitely changed. You know, for a while I was feeling that home is is where I am, you know, wherever I am, wherever I choose to, mm. to plant roots. Um, but a part of me also feels like home is where my family is. Um, because I realized, you know, we could go to any any place in the world, and I think I'd be comfortable as long as my my family is there. Yeah, yeah. I'm very close to them. So, <laughs> yeah. How about you? Do you do you feel as though your meaning of yeah. time has changed? I definitely think it expanded. I come from mm-hmm. a slightly different uh, perspective, so we. We moved to the States when I was uh, three um, from uh, from London. And, you know, I grew up in a small town in Southern California where I did not feel at home mm. and where, you know, like my identity felt very split in a lot of ways, you know, coming from both of my parents have vastly different backgrounds. So, so yeah, didn't feel home back there. And then moved to Chicago, Chicago became home for me. And then I moved to, to Taiwan and then to Spain and then, you know, back to the States eventually. And I think, I think that for me, you know, home, home became very much like a, a place that I, I created. Mm. Uh, and I, I found that for sure in Taiwan, but, um, but even while I was in Taiwan, Chicago always felt like home. So I think for, for me, it's about memory, like the memory of a place you know, and, and having like layers of memory in a place that, that feels like home to me. Layers of good memories, I should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Most, mostly good memories. Yeah. But, uh, but I do think that your definition of what home can be changes after you move abroad. Um, yeah. you know, that it, home can be wherever you create it. You just have to find a way of creating what home means to you wherever you are. Right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So my my last question for you, uh, and I'd be remiss if I if I didn't ask this, but what advice would you give to someone thinking of moving to South Korea uh, to teach? Whatever expectations you have, throw them out the window. <laughs> have absolutely <laughs> no expectations. Okay, come here. Mm-hmm as an empty an empty I would hate to say empty vessel because that sounds terrible but like come as an empty (laughs) (laughs) come as an empty an empty jar like come with an empty cup I should say that's good (laughs) come with an empty cup and there we go that's better yeah (laughs) prepare for it to just be filled and let it overflow okay just uh, come here mm-hmm. with an open mind and whatever. Of course, do your research. That I feel like that goes without mm-hmm. saying. But you know, whatever you think you know about this this place, whatever you think you may know about Korea or, or the culture, it's it's so much more once you're actually here and you get to experience it. So just come with an mm-hmm. open mind. Set aside your your reservations and just go with the flow. 
of things. That is mm-hmm. that is my number one advice. It sounds so basic, but really, it will it will get you many places and get you out of many experiences, um, situations uh, here. I, I've encountered many many expats um, who. I guess they had this idea of what their life would be like here. And, you know, of course, when those expectations are not met or I guess the Korean culture doesn't bend to their to the culture that they're used to. Yeah. Um, they kind of have like a hissy fit or they just like mm-hmm. they want to give up or they just, you know, they want to go home or they just don't want to really receive all that they can from this experience. And, you mm-hmm. know, I always say to them, just have an open mind. Just know that, mm-hmm. you know, when you're coming here, you are a foreigner in this country. It's not the other way around. You have to try to, uh, let's say, assimilate in a way. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Assimilate so, in a way, you know, to the culture and, you know, learn the language as much as you can. I'm still struggling a bit. Um, but, <laughs> and, you know, that. try your best, you know, to learn. Yeah. <laughs> You know, just just try your best and, you know, really get to know the people for who they are because Koreans are truly beautiful people. Uh, The culture is a beautiful culture. And, yeah, please, come, but come with an open mind and an empty cup. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Empty cup. (laughs) Empty cup, A full vessel, but an empty cup. Yes. (laughs) No empty vessel. Yeah, full suitcase, empty cup. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) <laughs> bring stuff with you. Yes. Definitely bring stuff Please with you. Not do, everything, but some things. <laughs> um, I I like that. I think the what I might add to that would be and and give yourself time. It's it's not always. It's often not easy being in a new place and in a new culture and having all of those different, you know, different things sort of coming at you. And you you know you you want to have the open mind, but you also be forgiving to yourself. Mm-hmm. Be kind to yourself. It's going to take time absolutely i'd say you know just like how we are learning uh about this new culture and we're learning about the people they too are also learning about us and they're learning about our culture and you know it's it's -hmm. just one big learning experience for us all so you know you should practice patience and always be compassionate that is my number one <laughs> word here, just mm-hmm. compassion. Well, thank you so much, Kendra. It's been truly a delight uh, chatting with you um, today. And I, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I hope I did good. Um, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> did great. Okay. Great. That's what I You've been listening to Teach, Travel, Talk About It, a podcast by International Tevel Academy, hosted by Jasera Vardak, mixed and edited by Ian Kelly Davis. For more information on teaching English abroad, please visit internationaltevelacademy.com or find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thanks for listening.